All right, we are back with another episode of the work week after hours. How you doing, Steve? I'm good. I'm feeling uh, feeling really good, actually. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so for our viewers, you typically know sometimes uh, Steve and I will be really get into. We're really passionate about the things that we do for a living, um, the impact that we're trying to do in the world, and also the things we talk about on here. And I will preface and say, um, even though this goes against everything you're supposed to do, I will preface and say this. When we look back in history, this will be one of the most important episodes that we'll ever record together. And what, what you and I encounter, for those maybe who aren't aware, maybe this is the first time you're coming across, um, you speak and consult and do a lot of things, what I would call behind the fence at a lot of corporate offices, um, helping them wrap their head around the future of work, um, uh, talent retention practices, all of those different things. I'm kind of on the front end of that where they reach out, they find out about you. I kind of go through a whole um, onboarding process and, and, and there. So I get to hear about the problems and then you get to try and help them you know, navigate a thought process to fix it. And, you know, you hear all the time from the biggest companies in the world to the biggest governments in the world, you hear all the time, Steve, all these things are going on. All these things are happening. How do we fix it? Can you, can you come and tell us what we need to be doing to be better prepared and, and the things we can do to fix these problems? And repeatedly, you, you know, kindly state that if anybody says, nope, if anybody tells you they've got the answers to this, you need to turn around and run the other way. Like, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter their resume, none mm -hmm. of it. And I think that still is true. Um, you also express, be the benchmark. Be the benchmark of, you know, of, of your industry, of what you're trying to fix. And, and that means be proactive and experiment and try things and those things. There's one thing that you and I have... I don't want to say stumbled upon because that's not probably the right, right frame, but there's, there's been a constant conversation that you and I have discussed that is what we feel like, and, and we certainly don't have all the answers. This is not Shane and Steve coming and saying, mm -hmm. we've got all the answers and this is what you need to do. But we got a really good sample size of companies and um, problems and feedback and there's one piece to all of this that you've been stating for the last 18 months that is in order for companies to thrive in the new world of work that exists now that, that, that didn't really COVID accelerated it but it was already kind of coming coming to the surface and that is the ability and the capacity as an organization and as individuals to have hard conversations and having hard conversations, oftentimes when we bring that up, and this is going to kind of lead into actually what we're going to talk about, oftentimes we bring and we say hard conversations at work, the first place a lot of us go to who have either been in a leadership standpoint or we go to a place of uh, DE&I or, uh, you know, uh, equality or pay equality, or gender equality, race, social issues, those kind of things, right? What what we actually think, those are micro things, not that they're micro value, 
they're micro in the grand scheme of how all of this falls. The big macro version of that is how do we actually talk about the world of work? How do we have a procedural language? I've looked it up. That's actually a thing in the mm -hmm. language mm -hmm. of humanity. It's called procedural language. Mm -hmm. And that, much like what you talk about with the world of work and our processes being built for a slower pace of work, a slower pace of business, our language is outdated. Our language hasn't evolved. And I think that's what we want to dive into today. Yeah. And I think it's really, this is really an important conversation we're going to have, as you said uh, at the outset. Um, and let me start by saying, you know, what, what the reason we want to talk about this today, I think is because after dozens and dozens of conversations in multiple countries and industries, we're eventually in every one of these conversations, we're hitting the same challenge, which is we're all stuck using language paradigms models to describe our situation that don't suit a new creating something better um and you know references to things like career path referencing things like employees referencing things like productivity um even to you know to reference a conversation i had with a very um, prominent news organization that uh, came calling and they said, hey, we want to talk to you about return to work. And, uh, and it hit me hard as soon as the host said that. And we were, you know, we were filming, but we, we were still sort of pre-record. And I said, listen, just stop right there. And I want you to appreciate the question you're asking me and the words you're using and how out of sync that is with what you really mean, you know, and in, in, in my world of human resources in, 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 I know we have a lot of listeners in this domain, there's this whole practice called needs assessment. And many times when a leader will come to you and say, Hey, we need a better presentation skills, or we need a class on, you know, marketing. And then it's up to us when we hear that, you know, requests come in, is that really the need? Like, okay, tell me why you think the need, what happened, what's going on, what's, what goal isn't being met? And when this host told me, can we want to talk about, you know, return to work? I said, I think what you mean, what I hear, the intent of what you're trying to say is return to office. Is that right? He said, yes. I said, I want, I want you to appreciate the fact that, and this man is multiple master's degrees, published dozens of books, I said, I want you to appreciate the interesting nature of that question preceding this conversation because it's not the right question. And it's not, I wasn't, I was trying to give him, you know, the benefit and, and not put him on the spot saying, you, you don't want to talk about return to work. Everyone's been working. And if you use that language and asking someone who's been busting their hump from home and feeling burnt out, like, hey, let's talk about return to work. No, what you mean the workplace, not work. And this is happening in so many conversations in so many areas that we're not able to have really, I think, um, insightful conversations because we're still trying to build a language for the future of work. And that is why, again, that's the opportunity and the frustration right now. We really, we're kind of stuck and we haven't, we haven't come up with language that feels satisfying 
to express what we're going through. And we, what do you do when you don't have new language? You fall back on what you know. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that's what we're seeing like on a massive scale right now. And so I, I think, you know, we really need to throw it out to our listeners, to the audience, to the greater community to start, let's calling, let's try to call out the expressions, the words, the language we're using that just doesn't, doesn't fit anymore. Um, you know, like loyalty. What do you mean loyalty? Loyalty to what? And I've been saying this for a while, probably the last two years. I believe the workforce today is loyal to their knowledge. They're not loyal to you, the company. And if you grow their knowledge and grow their relevance for tomorrow, that's what they're loyal to. But when someone says loyalty, that is, they're referring to you're loyal to the firm, right? And it just doesn't fit today. You know, yeah. It doesn't work. Well, people yeah. aren't staying. Well, so, so, so I think that some of, and I'm, I'm certainly not a, uh, a linguist by any stretch. Um, I'm also not the most versed in the English um, proper ways to communicate. But what I can tell you is, for me, a lot of the time, it's, it's who's that directed towards, right? Who's the ownership of the phrase that's, that's used? So when we tell people, we want, uh, we want, we want, we want company loyalty, when we have company loyalty, instantly we think company loyalty meaning you to the company, mm -hmm. right? So some of these things, because of the association of the phrase, we're going to have to reword it and we're going to have to come up with a different way to articulate it because what we actually need, so what we've got to figure out, because it, I don't know that there's so many people using it in different languages and mm -hmm. in today's world. Mm -hmm. So many mm -hmm. people using, when we say in any professional world, if we were to, if we were to go to 14 different countries and poll, you know, people at an audience, give me the definition of company, you know, loyalty, I would guess 99% of all people around the world would say you being loyal to the company, right? So I don't think we can change the framework where what that actually should mean mm -hmm. in today's world, it should actually mean the company loyal to you, right? And, and, and then loyalty probably is the wrong word. Exactly. Exactly. So, let's think about just, let's pause on this one. And yeah, 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 yeah. I think, so why, why is loyalty even a term that we use today? Because the belief is the, the more you are loyal, the more committed you are, the more committed you are, the harder your work, the more committed and the harder you work, the better the results we get. Right. And, and the more confidence I have as a leader, you will deliver consistently above, you know, average returns for, for in your work and therefore the company. That's why we believe loyalty was important. We all know, everyone knows, I've had this conversation in at least a dozen countries. People are not loyal to the company anymore. But most of those people are deer in the headlights. They're not sure, well, that's not good, but we don't have a replacement. I think what they what they really want is I want to win. I want I believe loyalty means deeper commitment and lack of loyalty means uh, you don't care as much, okay? Now maybe there's there, there's value in let's well let's have that conversation then. How do you know if I don't stay 5 years that I don't care? Now, how do you know that? You don't know that. You assume that you know, but I could really care, but I only have a short attention span and I'm, you know, seeing a incredible universe of new opportunities for me that I want to go explore that 
I'm going to feel like I'm suffocating if I stay here for an extended period. So, but I'm going to give you it all, but I have a shorter horizon in how long I want to do that than prior generations who couldn't see what I can see. So that, I mean, this is where I sort of say, have the I was having a conversation with about mm, 45 aspiring entrepreneurs from sub-Saharan Africa a few months ago. And this whole notion of, well, yeah, we really have a trouble because people just aren't staying a long time. And I said, why do you think that's important? And they didn't have an answer. Well, because that's what you need. So what you need people to stay a long time. I said, but your goal is to win. Your assumption is that, but none of you have ever built a company for very long. And so please, let's just pause and rethink what you're the framework you're building, which someone else built, you didn't build, but you're, you studied it. And that's, that's a belief. And so that that's, it's, I think it's like, we're in a quicksand right now, Shane. I really feel yeah. like, that. like we, we got to grab onto something, something new and better. Uh, and we all have to try to call out these expressions, which are just not capturing the essence of what's really happening right now. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's, it's create, you know, I, you, you and I, this is one of the few episodes that you and I had some, um, you know, some, some conversations about prior to, to coming on a recording and, you know, I use the reference, um, operating system, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like we, like we, like in, in everything in our life right now, um, there's new code that comes out. Uh, there's new, you know, websites get new code, applications get new code, computers get new firmware and mm-hmm. hardware and all these different things, right? But in the in the actual world of work, right? The and, and I'm not just gonna I'm not just gonna put this on non leadership C suite VP people. I'm putting it on everybody. Yeah. It is expected organizations, organizations either directly or indirectly, for them to thrive, their goal is to achieve as much profit as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Even nonprofits, that's what they're trying to do because the more money they make, the more money that it goes out, right? So um, in order for that to happen, you need a system of robots, right? And I don't mean robots as in like actual robots. I mean, you have to have people who can walk in, do a job, and continuously doing that job in a, re- a repeatable, scalable process that then allows you to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And that's from C-suite people. That's the CEO. Sometimes we're expected to uh, to be a robot and to operate that way. But we don't upgrade the language. We don't mm-hmm. upgrade the operating system. And the operating system in the world of work is how we communicate and articulate it. It's mm-hmm. how the sales team is is selling things. It's how the leadership team is conveying a new plan. It's how the groundskeeping crew conveys to leadership why this needs to be done differently. All these different things is a different world of work. And mm-hmm. it's and it's important. And even as I say groundskeeping crew, this is a good friend of ours. Um, Dr. Brad Shuck is actually going to give a talk coming up that I'm aware of uh, to some of the groundskeeping crew at a university. And as we talk about this, and this plays out in real time, I now think this is even more important because the grounds crew isn't involved, unfortunately, 
most businesses make plans and decisions based off of people sitting in an office, right? <laughs> so who's going to update the grounds crew and let them know that we're not saying return to office, that we're not saying return to work, that we're not saying, because now what happens if you got, because you see what I'm, you see where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. we, we have like, this is a huge problem. It's a huge problem in how we articulate these things. And, and, and you and I will really dive into this, whether this episode or further, even to like compensation and how we like, like it's, it's all of it. It's the verbiage. Why are we paying people with like, it's crazy. Like right. some, I thought about this, like, why, why do we pay people every two weeks? We have pay systems now where we could automate and put the money into someone's account every day. Are you ready for this? My uh, stepdaughter here just started working after school, got a great job at the school district. She had to fill out all kinds of forms. She had to go get a, you know, tuberculosis test. She had to get all these things in order. Then when she finished all her paperwork, they said, and your first check will be given to you two months after you start. Two months. <laughs> and and that, boy, and you're really important to us, you know? And so what that leaves, you know, my wife and I are like, well, we're going to have to pay her. And then when she gets her check, she can pay us back. And that's why she's doing this because she wants to have a little more freedom. She got her driver's yeah. license and she wants to go get some stuff and, you know, and, and good for her, but that's her yeah. first experience. It's just, it's broken And Shane. It makes me, it makes me sort of, you know, to try to help people recognize how dramatic this is. I almost feel like imagine you um, have never been in space before. And someone says, hey, you're going to go on the next space mission, and we're going to have to train you on living in zero gravity. <laughs> the ground, you you thought, you know, the universe is, you know, we have gravity, we're, we're on the ground, and now you're in, with no gravity. I mean, that's kind of, uh, you know, the, the magnitude that we're in when people are asking me questions around, you know, hybrid. Uh, what about this hybrid work, Steve? And I go, well, what do you mean? Tell me more. And usually what they mean is some combination of people coming in to the office and some combination of people going home. But that is an infinite pool of configuration. If you have more than 10 people or you know, more than 10 locations, yeah. that hybrid, that could be configured um, literally a million different ways. Different people, different days, different hours, different locations. I mean, whoa. And so, but yeah. you're capped, you're trying to capture it. And this is the human brain. This is where we are, Shane. We're trying to capture it in a simplified way that we can understand that we feel safe. And there's too much stuff that is coming at us that we got to compartmentalize it, you know? And that's why when they say we've got three choices at home, hybrid or the office, I'm like, no, you have 3 million choices. Actually, yeah. Yeah. it's not three. You, yeah. you comfortably want to bucket it in three because you don't want to have to process the fact that there are so many ways that we could possibly do this. And that's just hard, you know? And, and like yeah. you said earlier, I, I like the way you said that, like, th this is sort of like, we got to point the finger at all of us here. We got to come up with a different way yeah. of having these discussions, right? And um, when it really hit me, Shane, the, the, just the full magnitude of this, this, uh, you know, really plays into you know, it's not just talking about work. We had a whole episode on this. It's, you know, the future of life and the future of combining work and life, right? And I've been approached 
two days ago, um, I think it, where was it? I think I was in, I was in Chicago and I just finished giving a talk and someone came to introduce himself. And as sometimes this usually happens when they find out, uh, I used to work at LinkedIn for some reason, they think I still do. And that I should want to hear their product advice. <laughs> so, so the person says to me, Hey, um, really love LinkedIn, but man, I'm just really noticing a lot more personal stuff on there. And it, it's not really, you know, what I want. And, and after hearing that from that person and a few other people recently, you know, I shared this with you um, prior to this episode. I think that is a reflection of the merging of work and life, yeah. you know, and I shared some personal stuff about dropping my son off my, my, you know, first son going to college off and how emotional that was to me. And I've seen people talk about their children's illnesses or, you know, some hard you know, truths that they're facing in their lives with people passing away for different and and that's real and i'm seeing enormous followership for that yeah. you know and so it doesn't turn me off but the old way of separating work and home you know whoa whoa, whoa. what happens at home is that you know there's a they call it a personal life for a reason i don't like to talk like that's how i was raised like you don't talk about personal stuff at work it is all yeah. business yeah. right so yeah. So, and, and when you and I talked about this, I thought, imagine somebody in a position of leadership saying, I don't want you, you know, we, we've seen it. We actually, one of our very first episodes, we talked about people bringing uh, personal life issues into the office and it's not allowed. We're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to talk about race. We're not going to talk about like, like, you know, woke culture. We're not going to talk about it, you know, these different right. things, but you know, it, 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 it's one of those things where we got to take a step back. And one thing you and I hear from a lot of organizations, they say, well, yeah, you know, with the work and everybody spread out, you know, it's really hard to, you know, that face to face. And, you know, we're not really, um, you know, we're struggling to have that, 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 that side talk or that, you know, that casual conversation that means something or hits a string, but yet we're doing it. We're actually doing it. We're just not paying attention because we want to compartmentalize everything and say, no, you're not allowed to my social media, you know, LinkedIn, you're not like there's a hidden rule somewhere that says you're not allowed to to post because somebody just beat cancer. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that, like like that's a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, I would argue that some of the most liked and fun, some of the most reshared posts at LinkedIn on LinkedIn are actually about personal things yes. achieved, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to give it away because it, we those different things, but you and I have even played this out in your world, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I, I am a big believer of humanizing success. Ironically, you're a big believer of humanizing work. But when it comes to talking about your work, like a lot of people, it makes them uncomfortable talking personally, right? Like it's somehow, um, you know, it's the same way that some people think that if they show up to a big fancy event in Paris at a big professional event that you got to wear a shirt and tie and be mm -hmm. in a suit jacket where Shane's going to walk in in some hoodies and some nice Jordans and be totally fine, right? It, it, and it, and, and in your world, and I don't want to give it away. So don't, I don't want you to, I don't want you to share what we're talking about, but in your world, I came to you early on. And I said, look, I said, if you and I are going to work together, that's great. I'm going to, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this because I want the world to get to know you the way I 
get to know you as a friend, right? And then mm-hmm. now you've started to share some really, really, I mean, I would argue some of the most personal stories of mm-hmm. your life mm-hmm. in your talk and how it relates and how it actually helping you uncover how you got to this thought process of the future of work. And it's been some of the most impactful, most like, uh, like, like the hair stand never up on my arms. Feedback. I've never had the feedback yes. or, or me have an audience just wrapped attention. Uh, you know, I had I, two days ago, I had 750, a thousand people in a room hanging on the story and I'm getting choked up telling it. And, and Shane that, you know, credit to you in seeing that, but appreciating it. But I think this, you're talking about the roots, I think, of how we're going to get through this. Yeah. Which is, we got to default to what we know. And that is just keeping it simple, keeping it real. That has served me so well. And it always surprises me around every corner. They're like, wow, you're just so real. I, you know, I, when, you know, you're just a kind of a normal, I'm like, yeah. And that, but why does that have to be a superpower? Everyone's got that. Yeah. You yeah. know, but, but I guess I'm more comfortable just living in my skin and maybe it's having felt some, you know, some big failures and some big pain. But I, I think that's how we're going to have to sort of start with our recommendation of the language that we need. Just be honest. Right. Yeah. That was the opening chapter of my book. Why was I made to feel bad leaving electronic arts for the opportunity of a lifetime? Why was my boss ridiculed, made to feel like she had made a bad hire because I left before the unspoken. Well, we don't know how long you're supposed to stay, but it's definitely longer than you stayed. You know, like we don't, you know, there is no number, you know, and, yeah. and, and there was no timeline. And that just felt, it just felt off. And I, and it irritated me for years. Yeah. Why is, why is that bothering me? Because it's dishonest because yeah. it's not real and it's not realizable today as much. And yeah. there should be joy in, you helping someone elevate to somewhere else, someone better yeah. possibly. Yeah. You, know? you, you, um, you shared with me, uh, something about a couple of leaders that you've worked with in your time and a couple stories and they're not my stories to tell, but what you shared with me were the authenticity that these people shared with you. It was not how they became your best friend. It was not how they always made you happy. It was not, it was not those things. You had positive interactions with them. You had non-toxic interactions with them. You had sometimes confrontational interactions with them. But what you shared, what you've shared with me about how they stick out to you is the authenticity that, that they gave you. And we talk about it amongst friends where if I'm with you and you and I are about to walk into a big event and I see, I see we just ate lunch and I see something in your teeth. I'm supposed to tell you and say, Hey, Steve, you got something in your teeth. Hey, Steve, mm-hmm. onions are, mm-hmm. they're, they're hitting you right now. Like you need, mm-hmm. like, let me get you some gum. I'm supposed to do that. And if that offends you, that's not my problem because I'm supposed to look out for you. I'm supposed to be authentic to you. That mm-hmm. actually is the, like, it's not a, it's not a fabricated way in the world of work. Sometimes I would say oftentimes we need constructive criticism. The only way for us to grow is for someone to be authentic and say, Hey, I appreciate your effort, dude, you've been busting it right now. But the last four or five days and these last four or five things that we just went over, 
they're just not hitting the mark right now. I don't know what's going on. You know, if you want to talk, I can talk, but it's just not it. I, I mean, I mean, you and I both know you can do way better. If you want to sit down and kind of dissect it, I'm happy to, right? Mm-hmm. That same thing is if I look at you and say, hey, this is shit work. This ain't it. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if something's wrong with you, but, you know, no, nah, this ain't it. So figure it out. I'm saying the same thing, but it comes across in two completely different ways. The mm-hmm. other piece to that is it is the pattern of behavior that leads up to that. And this is why we think the language is so important is because language matters. Your mm-hmm. words matter. Why do, why do emails go viral when CEOs send out big emails addressing an issue and it gets leaked, it gets leaked out and why? Because words have value. How you say things matters. Mm-hmm. The words you use matters. Imagine telling some, imagine telling Imagine telling people, imagine walking into a medical environment, a hospital, and you hold a meeting and it's everybody. It's, it's people who work at home. It's people who work, it's nurses, it's doctors, and you're upset and you're frustrated and you get up in front of everybody and say, okay, today's the day. Today marks the day that we get back to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, listen, I'm going to guarantee you that's been said. I guarantee you it's been said. Imagine that. Imagine you're already burnt out. You're already stressed out. You've been dealing with people dying left and right. You've been dealing with people threatening your life because you work in a COVID environment. You've been dealing with all these things. And now your boss just looked at you and said, now we're going to get back to work as if you weren't working already before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, 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 And in order for us to change, we have to create a different way to communicate this. And the other piece to this, Steve, and we've talked about this, the other piece to that is we have to actually start, we got to give up control. The future of work is being more human and the future of work is giving up control. Mm -hmm. And, And that's in a lot of ways. That's in a lot of ways. I would argue, I don't know, I'm now going to do some research. I would argue that the every two weeks pay period is due to control. Organizations or some organization rolled that out. So they knew you would at least work another two weeks because you didn't have your money. So you couldn't go. (laughs) It might be, you know, what we're talking about here, uh, control is what's on the line for what all the, researchers who look into the highest performing teams in the world have arrived at, which is trust teams that operating in high trust um, have disproportionately greater results. So, you know, ask yourself listeners and um, you know, who, who are you going to feel trusted more by someone who is saying, get to the office, you need to do your work. These are the hours or someone that says, um, this is what I need you to get done by such and such a time, where you do it, how you do it, when you do it, who you invite to help you do it, it's up to you, but I'm entrusting you to get this done. Like, who do you trust more? The one, the second one, the latter. And yet, um, people are not playing, playing for that. They're still playing for high control, high ownership, um, uh, thinking that that will lead to, and maybe in the short term for some people, that will lead to a better outcome. But the long game, 
I don't think so. I think you don't you don't get great talent to join you as much. I don't think you get great talent to stay very long if that's how you're going to do it. And so, you know, th- thinking about language and, you know, this is, gets back to being more human, being more real, being more transparent, being more open with people that builds greater bonds. You know, I get people sometimes after these recent talks that I've been really evolving the story, this very personal story into my discussions with future work, people coming up to me and talking to me like they know me after hearing me for uh, 60 to 90 minutes. And that's just disarming, you know? And I was like, wow, I like it. But I'm like, how, how did that happen? And what did I do differently that created that comfort where someone said, whoa, that really touched me. Thank you. I had something in my life that happened like that. Now, I mean, th- that person is going to listen to other things that I have to say. They're going to be more open to my ideas. They're not going to be as resistant, you know? And all two of the three locations where I was recently were, you know, you say, hey, here's Steve from California. The barriers are going to go up right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah You're yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. boy, here we are. Some, you know, you know, technology, California, radical, you know. Yeah. And so you, you're, I, you're I, in I middle America. Started, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. already starting behind, you know, and I knew it, you know, and I know it. And so you and I were on a call recently with, an international firm, they're like, hey, some people in the committee here, not really comfortable that, you know, <laughs> there's going to be American bravado is going to be coming out your pores. I'm like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But yeah. but that all gets to we want your message to land. We want to prepare you that the audience is thinking that this is this may be the the persona that's coming through. And so, you know, and gets to, you know, another word we haven't used yet. It's overused, but it is know your audience, have empathy and be adaptable and appreciate that if, if your goal is to get the message absorbed, and this is the conversation, you know, going, going a little bit of a different direction. You know, I've had so many executives that have had to coach where they just get animated, they get angry, they get frustrated. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to them and said, you know, everyone's going to remember what you did. No one's going to remember what you just said. Because of they're they're stuck on how it was delivered, and that you lost the message after, you know, you just you just went sideways. And now there's a certain amount of, you know, human discomfort with real raw angry emotion because a lot of people just can't handle that, and they didn't have that at home for whatever reason, um, or they haven't had a lot of chance to work through being calm uh, in the eye of the storm. But that's another thing that I think can really impede uh, message, you know, messages you know, being received well is yeah. how you deliver it, you know? Yeah. And I think, and that's, you know, that's a moment like we're, our, you know, appreciation for diverse messages and languages and perspectives and peoples. We all know we can do better with that, but we've yeah. been given a moment now where we're really being put to the test, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You, you made the reference earlier about learning as an astronaut, having to learn in zero gravity. Right. right and and or and, something and, fundamental that you thought was the way this well i put this down it doesn't stay there oh my it's having to rethink everything right yeah yeah no absolutely and it, and it made me um uh it made me think like it's like you know there's all this talk about we're gonna go an event like people living today will be able to visit mars at some point right probably mm-hmm. younger people right mm-hmm. Do we want them taking what 
language and like, do we like, 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 you know, we got to think about that, right? Like we got like, I'm not saying that thought process, but I'm saying what happened over the last two years, there's a lot of people that woke up over the last two years and now they're on the moon and now they're on the moon mm-hmm. and it's like, whoa, wait a second. Uh, my, this is the right building, but something doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. When, why are these people leaving? Why, why aren't there anybody? Why isn't there anybody in this office? Why, it's almost like you woke up from a coma, right? It's yeah. like you woke and like all of a sudden it's the like parking lot's empty. Yeah. What people must be just like not caring about work anymore. <laughs> yeah. I talked about it in one of my early episodes where I, my wife's cousin was working at Google and he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, just park anywhere. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, just anywhere. And I turned the corner and there's like cars on the park, on the sidewalk. They're like mm-hmm. valet up front. Like there's just cars parked everywhere on Google. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, just park, dude, just park anywhere. He's like literally anywhere. Like you can pull on the grass, just literally anywhere. And now uh, my guess is that's not the case if you go by, right? Mm-hmm. Now my guess is if you went by 12 months ago, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And how do we now have these conversations about things? And, and, and the, la- the new language of work isn't just the words. It's the tone. It's the delivery. It's the delivery of the new word. It's the intent. It's the, it's the actual, we have to change the definition of some words in mm-hmm. the context, other other languages do it, and and we're speaking mainly English here, so mm-hmm. I, I'm, we're not insensitive to other languages. We're, we're, but but there are okay, there are some languages around the world who have one word that means one thing, and there are some that have four words that mean the same thing, but in different mm-hmm. contexts, right? So mm-hmm. the world of work has to has to ha, you know that procedural language has like like contract why are we signing an employee contract right mm-hmm. why why isn't it an employee agreement right like like mm-hmm. why isn't it a company agreement mm-hmm. right why isn't the company yeah. agrees that they're going to do these things mm-hmm. right like you, 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 you like everything is it's because the power dynamic like like some of the things are still a bit outdated in the governmental procedures here in portugal right if i offend somebody i certainly apologize but it's not up to it's not up to speed. Meaning, sometimes the verbiage is to the husband, like when like like in and how they word things. Every like mm-hmm. it's almost like my wife doesn't exist, right? It's like to the husband of the household. This is, and she's like, "What do you mean? Like I'm the one going and do you know going and doing it?" Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's the same way of we work like we think in the employee in the in the in the work provider and the work. Even that, even that is wrong. Because when I say work provider, at first I went to the person providing the work, but meaning the employee, they're the ones providing the work. But actually, is it the other way around? Or is it that way? Like who's providing the work, right? Like, does the work even exist if that person doesn't come along and fill in for six months while somebody's out to actually do it? Mm-hmm. So there's there, there, there's this whole wide process that we... and. Listen, we're not going to solve this in this uh, this episode, right? But but what I I, I hope like and we're being a bit provocative in a good way, I think, because mm-hmm. we want to spark like, hey, like this is a conversation. We're going to launch a whole web domain to gather people's thoughts and 
and, yeah. and, and different things behind it because we want to like, like we want to, we want to be the stewards of the new language of work. I guess that's probably yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah. And the one that really, really got me fired up this week was the notion of productivity. Um, that, you know, employees are saying, you know, technically or literally they're saying I'm more productive at home and businesses are saying, no, you're more productive here. And we think, you know, there's better teamwork when we're together, the culture is better and things like that. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, no, I think the employees are saying I'm more productive at home, many of them, but what they really mean is my life's more productive. I'm home when my kids get there back from school. I am, you know, more present in the lives of my family. Uh, I have a better rhythm to my chores. I can give more to my community, my school, my charitable contributions can be made more seamlessly and more integrated. My life is more productive. And we've never had that conversation before, you know, where the goal, I mean, isn't that why we work so that we can have a better life? But we've always, for whatever reason, uh, separated those two. And really, now's the chance for us to like, let's really talk about like that. You know, and that's, yeah. you know, we've talked about this before. I feel really fortunate to have been in an organization where I had some leaders start this conversation of, well, let's talk about where you want to be when you leave. And they're like, what? Yeah, because we know we're just part of your journey. That's okay. And we still have a lot of resistance to that for, for no other reason, I think, than this old expectation, this old paradigm that you have, you know, the teams that win are the ones that have people stay the longest. And that's, I think, yeah. being proven wrong or untrue again and again and again, particularly in the, in the technology world. Yeah. And, and, and it's one of those things where, so I, I wrote down the word happiness because I know this word uh, gets under your skin a bit, right? <laughs> So, 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 so here's actually a different, I want to chat, you know, I know they think we agree on everything. I actually want to challenge. This is one of those things. Yes, maybe we, that we certainly don't need to be using the word in the context of you're an individual contributor. You're a number in a seat here. Is that person happy doing what they're doing? Right. Right. Happy is it is is maybe one of the most relative things in the world right mm -hmm. like you ask my son you give him a 12 cent lollipop from down the street he would tell you it's the best day ever right you know mm -hmm. for me i'm it's not gonna it's not gonna move my, the needle in my world right mm -hmm. like but that's mm -hmm. him right so yeah. what if and again, I think it's it. I think it's, I think it's reframing what we mean and and who it's directed towards. Mm -hmm. Should the employee worry about? Let, let me ask. I, I'm actually going to ask you a very honest question. Not okay. that I don't ask. That's I'm like I hate when I do that. Um, what you mean to say is it may sound like I've I'm trying to lead the witness here, but this yes. is a genuine question. Yes, yes, very <laughs> genuine. I've never asked you this before. Okay. You've worked at a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. I would argue, you know, really good at what you do, what you did, still do it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you would have a better chance of achieving the goals for your team that you oversee if you focused 
if your team was happier at work or happier in life? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I would definitely say happier in life. Correct. Mm -hmm. Because if my life is great and I'm <laughs> happy in my life, I can deal with a whole lot more bullshit at work. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm just calling it like I see it. Right. 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 Well, here's the thing. When the, the happiness sets me off, uh, the, intent, the intent of, you know, there's happy at work books, happy pod, happy at work podcasts, you know, Hey, we really want people to have, I mean, it's all over the place. I'm not, I'm not going to stop this movement. And, but, uh, and I'll tell you why it's got an issue for me, but I think, what people really say is, what the people, the intent for that is, um, we want you to feel positive that this is a constructive environment for you. That's what I think we're really trying to say. But when we over-index on happiness is the goal at work, I think it limits, prevents, um, disincentivizes people being really brutally honest about that product's not going to work. That idea is not going to fly. People really aren't going to like that. I disagree because it flies in the face of someone having. So you can deliver that, but you also need to have other dimensions of your culture. Like, Hey, we really need to be constructive here. And sometimes we're going to disagree and we better disagree. You know, I have a whole chapter in my book called the 11th man where it's like, if everyone agrees, some leaders are really nervous. Like, uh, -uh. Someone, I need someone to disagree. Like, and that's what you want on your team. You want people to have different, that's the whole you know, case for diversity. But I do think, you know, your meta, your meta point here is a really good one, which is we've only been focused maybe too narrow. If happiness is a, a aspiration of yours, why are you only focused on work? You know, because this, and this is where, you know, the more you know about me, and you said this earlier, so I want to sort of tee you up to channel the Shane uh, like three or four hours ago. We were really getting into it. We're like, man, we should be recording. This is so good. Where, where you said, the more I see you fill in the blank, whoever, coworker, boss, colleague, customer, the more I see you as a human, your joys, your lows, your emotions, the more I know how to lead you, help you you know, be constructive for you, but that has been sort of suppressed, you know, over time. And that's why I said right from the, I mean, we can go back and look at some of the earlier podcasts. What's great about now is this whole catastrophe we've been living through has forced us all to start our engagements with how are you? How's your family? <laughs> and mean, mean it, you know, really mean it. Not just like, Hey, nice. How's the weather? Where you were like the, it's not chit chat. It's like, it's legit. And that's and, good. And let's hold on to that, you know? And that, and I think that place comes from, you know, um, um, a shared place of empathy mm -hmm. because it's, I, I, I don't know you, but the whole world, we all just kind of went through the same thing. So I mm -hmm. got a decent idea of what life was like. And if it was anywhere close on either side of the spectrum of my, my was, Man, I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're, I hope you're good. Right. Yeah. So, so this whole notion of, yes, I can lead you better, the better I know you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I oftentimes, and you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't care to preface anymore. I, I reference our relationship and how we work together. 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, everything doesn't run smooth all the time, right? There's, I just came to you two weeks ago. I was like, man, my brain is jacked. I've got ADHD. Like, man, I'm all over the place. Mm -hmm. That's my way of saying, hey, if I miss something or if I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, but you know that, right? So, so, mm -hmm. so there's not, and, and then there's times you've come to me and be like, Hey man, I need to talk to you. Like my brain's right. all jacked up. I got this stress in me. Like or whatever, right? Question three times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or text. And then finally I just call. I'm like, look, this is not like, let's, let's just talk this through. So, uh -huh. so, so, but, but that's because we know each other. Like, like we, we, we know each other, mm -hmm. this relationship. And I'm using this as an example because oftentimes we use companies and companies are great, but this isn't any different and it's a very real world thing. The, our relationship couldn't, didn't have to be this way or couldn't have been like it had the chance didn't like, it could have been strictly professional. Hey Steve, uh, you got this. Hey, you get this mm -hmm. email. All right, cool. Right. Transactional. Mm -hmm. Yes. But we started as friends first. So that certainly played a part, but we knew each other. So there was a level of trust and understanding before that exchange happened. And then there's radical candor and there's, you know, transparency and authenticity and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, asking hard questions and talking about hard things and, you know, these different things, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of self-awareness involved, all those things. As, a, as an organization, I, I actually, you know what, screw the organization as a leader, as a person in a position who is in control with their daily actions on something. What do you have more control over? You have more control over figuring out what's going on in that person's life and helping them or going to your team or going to your boss and figuring out a way to help them or figuring out changes we need to make with them than then institutional changes that you can get changed within this publicly traded company that has all these legal things that, you know, we're only going to pay people net 120 because that's how we used to do it. Or, you know, legal has to approve this contract and legal will look at the same contract for three different engagements and change three different things, like all these different things. Mm -hmm. But if you come to me and you say, Hey, I got this going on in my life or, you know, trying to buy a house and I'm struggling and, you know, I can't find a, I can't find a, you know, a, you know, a mortgage officer that's willing to help me or it's not what, like, I think oftentimes we think of how we help people at work. We got to stop thinking about work. I'm a connector by nature. I mm -hmm. listen to everyone's problems. I, that's what I do. I listen to everyone's problems. And what I do is I have this mental catalog of all these people in my world. I mean, you see it play out on a regular basis, but like I said, oh, I know this person. Oh, let me see if I can call this person. And it doesn't work every time. Right. But I'm trying to figure out how I can make this person's life easier with zero mm -hmm. expectation from me. I don't expect right. anything from anybody. So the things we actually can help are being human individuals if the collective is more human in an organization the organization by default has to be more human mm -hmm. does that make sense absolutely so we have to be more human mm -hmm. we have to give up control how do i give up control hey look man i know look i'm gonna i need to have a conversation with you because you know i can look at all the reports i know your 
you know, this survey we did that's somehow supposed to read your mind and say how long you're going to be here with us and all this great stuff. You know, is it, you know, you're, we look study says you're as engaged as any employee we've got here, mm -hmm. but you know, I I've seen it, man. I just want to have a conversation with you. I want to share some personal things with me. I've been through, you know, I've, I've struggled with some depression. I dealt with some things. This happened with my, with my son or this happened mm -hmm. with my, my wife and I've been through some of this stuff. And I just want you to know, you know, if, if I can help you, I'm here to help you. If I can help you connect with somebody that can help you, if, if, if you just need to go outside and scream and yell and you need somebody mm -hmm. to sit there and, you know, hold a, a punching bag. So you, I don't care what it is. You let me know because I just, I just want to help and I, and I get it. And I know that you're probably looking at other places. So know that if you want to go somewhere else, let me know before your productivity starts to fall off, before you start having these like things that I can't, like, I can't hide, like, and then somebody else gets catch wind of it. Like, I can't, like, I can't cover for you. Let me know because I think you're a huge asset to the world, not just here. So if I can help you, let me try to help you go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. I know those conversations do happen, but at scale, they need to happen. Mm -hmm. And then because I think at scale, if those things happen, then the organization starts operating that way. It's mm -hmm. hard for the it's hard for a business to be super stale and super impersonal when everybody there is super personal, mm -hmm. right? Like if you and I were to go actually start to build a company around what we're doing mm -hmm. and we start bringing some people in and they're like, yeah, I mean, it's cool. Y'all tell each other you love each other on the phone and all that. But <laughs> I mean, I just want to come to work. Like that's great. And we're certainly not going to force it on you, but it's probably not going to work out. Like it's probably like, like it's just not our culture. That's not who we are, right? It's not right or wrong. You're yeah. you're 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 trying like it's like you're not going to change the system, mm -hmm. right? And yeah, I, did, I we have like we have to like, and and that's giving up control. That's if I know if Steve's above me and he knows I'm having that conversation. Yeah, sure. Maybe Steve's going to get in trouble if turnover goes up because Shane told somebody he'd help him find another site somewhere else. But that person also now isn't on a bunch of medication and now, you know, depressed and going through a divorce because he actually looked up and said, I got to go do something. Which one's more important? Because guess what? The word gets out. Yep. And that, and you know, Susan, who I talked to, who went and got a new job because I said, Hey, let me help you. She ran into somebody and found like, hey, yeah, I had to go. It was my family and there's some family things, but I'm going to call Shane right now. I got a lot of respect for him. I think I can get yeah. you in. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about the the architecture of control that really needs to be, you know, we're talking about the vocabulary, the communication, the architecture work. We did a few episodes on this one around how we just, you know, how we budget, how we think about headcount in terms of full-time people. But one of the, you know, I'm starting to see in the last few years some really interesting experiments with performance management because the way it's most contracts at work are set up is I work for a boss. My boss writes my review based on how the review goes. I'm eligible for promotions, salary or not, you know, if it doesn't go well. well what I see some companies doing is taking that boss's control of the performance review and giving it to the coworkers you are going to 
rate and rank each other in terms of how you are as a collaborator, how you are as a communicator, how you are as a mentor, a support, a coach. Um, and people are like, what? You know, I thought I just had to, you know, influence my boss and make my boss think everything's good. And now it's this. And, and that, you know, that's the spirit of the 360 review is like everyone around you gets that. Um, that's unfortunately, I think in some organizations, a lot, uh, a lot of times has been misused or abused to try to find dirt on someone to, to get them out versus just, Hey, this is a real constructive process, which is a whole nother story of why people are suspicious of HR people. Cause they're often the instruments of other people wanting to realize different outcomes. But I think that's, there's encouraging signs, but that's about how you can start to diminish this whole notion of top-down control, which could lead to unlocking disproportionate energy, you know, in organizations. And again, it's easier said than done. Um, and it really does take, you know, leaders at the top doing things that way. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget one of the coolest things that I've been a part of in my career is you have a, a mature, enlightened CEO and they want to hear the raw feedback and they never do. When you're a CEO, you are not getting the real news. Most of the time, someone's filtering it for personal, you know, uh, advantage. So you get a bunch of people that never see the CEO in a room and, and the CEO's like, Hey, what's working? What's not working? What can we fix? What can we make better? And then people start, well, are they serious? Like you really want to hear what's not working? Yeah. Really want to hear what's not working. And they start, Poof. And the CEO is like, wow, okay, well, that's not how it should work. Let's, let's fix that. You know, but, but what I, what really good CEOs will do is like, so what did you do to try to fix it? Instead of, you know, the boss is screwed or that's screwed and I'm a victim. The CEO is like, what'd you do to try to fix it? You know, like I can go do it, but let me tell you, if I go in and say, I heard these guys said that you're not blah, blah, blah. Well, then someone's going to have a retaliatory perspective on it. And sure. how they absorb that and how they respond. But someone who sees, I need to make the system better is going to say, do you feel empowered to raise an issue to work that out? Because the sooner I help you do that, this is what they're thinking in there. The sooner I help you solve your problem, the less you're going to need to hold on to it, have it ex until you're going to explode like a volcano. And then it's going to be all emotional and there's going to be collateral damage all over the place. That's the right way to do it. Right. And that's always how I tried to run my shop when I was in HR. I was like, I'm not going to give you the, I know the answer or I might know the answer, but I need to help you get the answer. So how can we work that? You know, and sometimes yeah. it may mean I need that manager to make a big mistake and it's going to be stinky and it's going to be a little messy, but they are not listening to me and they need to learn from stubbing their toe, bumping their head or crashing into the, into the wall. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think you should promote that person because there's three other people on your team that are clearly more qualified and everyone sees you having lunch with the person you want to promote and all the time you want to go ahead and do that. Those three stars over there that you, we both know are better than the person you want to promote. They're not going to take it. So yeah. no, 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 I, I want to do it. You know, there's been some sort of side deal that I didn't get told about, or they already promised something and now yeah. they got to deliver on it and it happens. And guess what? Just blows up. And I was like, yeah. mm, you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What could, what could we have done differently? What did you learn here? You know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes, I mean, you, people will really surprise you when they have those learning moments that they will really, it will really serve them well. You know, yeah. it's hard yeah. though. I used it's to, I, I, I used to, I used to tell my team, um, I need problem 
fixers, not problem finders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because as a CEO of my business, I know what's wrong in the business, especially a small business. I know everything that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You coming to me and telling me that this and this and this isn't working or this person isn't doing I'm I'm totally aware of it. What's the salute? Like, give me a solution. Give me like give like give me. And and same thing, like oftentimes I knew the answer, but you have to develop that that muscle memory in the decision making to come to it. Something you hit on. And I want to circle it all the way back okay. just now you hit on. And it goes back to the language and how we do things. But the biggest piece, and I didn't think about this before we started this conversation. The biggest piece of all this is we have to redirect the messaging. And to redirect the messaging, the messaging is oftentimes procedural the hierarchy. I don't even like using the word hierarchy. I don't, I got to figure out the word for, I don't even know the word for, Mm -hmm. but, Mm -hmm. but what I'm trying to explain is most procedural language, the dominant figure in procedural language is the company, the employer or the manager. And the non-dominant is the, the person lower right? Or the person being paid less or the person who's been there the least amount of time or because all those things play into creating this language, right? Just because a person's only been here six weeks doesn't mean that he doesn't have a better solution than the person who's been here 16 years, right? Like we have to get out of that mindset, right? You said something that you said oftentimes when people would bring problems, and I want to make sure I heard you right. You said when, essentially what you were saying is when people bring problems to management or the CEO, they're not really getting the whole thing. They're just kind of getting a, an abbreviated light and blow. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're taking their position into uh, consideration mm-hmm. in how we articulate or say certain things. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the same thing happens from a corporate team when they go to the board because that's where they go, right? Right. They go to the board and, yeah, we can't hide from the numbers, but, you know, what actually led to those numbers, maybe (laughs) it's not all there, Mm -hmm. right? That's what's got to change. We're worried way more about what the boss thinks, what the managers think, what the owner thinks, what the board thinks. We're worried way, why do we make changes and why do we watch our words and how we say things to them, but we don't when we're going the other way. Mm -hmm. Saying something to a boss, and I'm gonna use a boss, saying something to a CEO, saying something to a senior vice president and saying, and, and, and not, and, and lightening the blow, like softening the words, mm-hmm. isn't what's happening to people when these statements of return to work. The difference is, is that would be like walking into a meeting. That would be like you at LinkedIn and you walk in to a meeting and you know the CEO's there and you're like, yep, you know, uh, I know you want to talk about this, but I actually want to talk about you. And in front of everybody, you know, you know, you've been coming in here, you've been dragging it. 
Uh, hell, we hadn't seen you in two weeks. We didn't know where you were. Secretary said you were out. Um, you know, you said you were going to have this signed off on. I'm not, I've still not seen it. You know, now I'm getting mm -hmm. chewed out. Like, like that doesn't happen. <laughs> right. So, so we were just wondering when you were going to come back to work. We we're just wondering when you're going to be work. Knowing full and well that all those things may be true, but that person's still working their tail off. Mm -hmm. But we mm -hmm. don't say that. The same thing is being said, though, to people who have been working, who've been sitting at home, juggling the dog, being sick, juggling their mom with cancer, juggling two kids who were remote teaching because the school district changed, juggling a toddler. Also, at the same time, it's a very real scenario, a toddler because daycare is shut down and the people couldn't afford to open them back up. So there's not enough people opening new daycares. So they're having to do that. Doing all that. And we're telling that person, we need you to come back to work. Literally using mm -hmm. those words, we need you to come back to work. Why doesn't the same consideration given to them? Right. right? That, and that, that has to change. Mm -hmm. we're, we're doing, we know how to do this. Mm -hmm. As humans, we know how to do this. We got to change who we're worried about offending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to appreciate that early signs for many organizations are the profits and the success has been much greater than they ever thought it would be in this unpredictable people working in different places. Um, in some cases, better results than before the pre pandemic, you know? So why, why are you telling people to come back when you haven't made a case of why that's more valuable? Their lives just got more valuable than the way that it's going. So why are you going in reverse? Like, what what's that achieving right yeah think think about this you got a workforce you know the data of how close your team is to your office okay everybody has that data right mm -hmm. you have that data so you know you got to commute x number of miles and 70 percent of your team drives to work right you're now telling people keep in mind there's this thing called a recession potentially looming, inflation. They're already stressed out and terrified that they may lose their job. They don't know what's going on. They're hearing about this company laying off and this company laying off. All these external things are causing tension to be internally high individually. And then you go to them after they just watched the news and they just listened in NPR on the way to work about how the cost of living just went up X number of dollars and the cost of healthcare is now going up because of this. And the gas is about to be $5 a gallon and all these things, they're hearing all this. And then you go to them and say, Hey, I, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to need you. Uh, yeah. And, and you give no substantial, I, I'm, I'm going to need you back in here in this building we're paying for. Right. right. Like, if you don't understand the psychological trauma, like, and I call it micro trauma. If you don't like you, you need to understand that tiny cracks are what actually makes a damn break. Mm -hmm. It's not one big crack. It's a bunch of tiny little cracks, yep. right? And if you don't think about that, cause then guess what happens? Some of those people are naturally affected and rather than go to therapy, they sit and look at someone they feel safe with and it often comes off as complaining and they sit at, at their desk and they sit down and they're like, man, 
can you believe they and, – and you know we're not getting a raise. We haven't gotten a raise in 18 – we haven't gotten a raise in two years, but yet I just paid $12 for the toll. I totally forgot it was $12. I didn't have any idea. And then the parking – well, they've leased out the parking, and now i got to pay $40 a day for park. It's $52, not counting my gas. Well, what? A, uh, and, and that goes to that person. And that person goes home, who was totally fine and hadn't broke it down. They go home and talk to their wife, and their wife's now stressed out. Now their wife's on the phone talking to a friend, and now that conversation's happened. This is how the world works. And we're acting as if we're unaware. We're acting as if we can... Because I think, I, now I do, I do think this has worked in the past. Mm-hmm. Bef- pre-internet, pre-information age, I do think that you could say, this is how we're going to do it, and this is just what we're going to do, and it is what it is. And I think most people would have, most people would fall in line. I think mm-hmm. we're now in a world where people see their, you talk about it, people see more opportunity on the horizon than ever before from a professional career standpoint. And if you think, you know, it's like, hey, if I look this way and the sun's too bright in my eyes, what do you do? You turn and look the other way. And if I can look the other way and all of a sudden now, whoa, wait a second. I didn't know that. Oh, these opportunities are over here. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first thing that happens, if you ask somebody to. 100 percent, the first thing that happens when you tell when you send out an email that says we're going, let's say you word it correctly. We're going to return to the office in some collaborative capacity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's say you like you nail it how you word it. Yeah. The people that don't want to go back in the office, I'm telling you right now, the very first thing they're doing is oh, hold on one second. Let me go see who's <laughs> hiring that uh, is fully remote. Yep. Right. Okay. Um, and oh, I know that person on LinkedIn. Oh, man, he's friends with Steve, this guy that I know. I listen to this podcast. Oh, I'm going to reach out to Steve and see if Steve can put in a good word for me. All right, but I got to go to work, but uh, I'll let you know if I get this interview. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. guess what? We're now in a world where that plays out in real time, and mm-hmm. that's that's happening at mass. Yeah. I was asked a really interesting question um, a workshop in Austin, Texas a few weeks ago. Have you seen cultures really change, um, bad cultures change into good cultures? And I said, no. Uh, I have a lot more stories that, of people who tried to but didn't. But if you're going to, do something radical. Um, and I'm reminded of the news story. We haven't, I don't think we talked about it on this show yet, but it's definitely one where it changes the conversation dramatically. And that was what the founder of Patagonia just did. He turned over the entire ownership of Patagonia to organizations around the world committed to making the planet more sustainable. And the tagline was just genius. We have turned over ownership of this company to earth. (laughs) Drop mic. What? And that, that's how you that's how you get attention. That's how you change a conversation. That's how you get people to go, whoa, I'm walking into a different place here. You know? Um, and that's kind of the moment, like, why is that so that's great, but how come we don't have like 50 other companies doing that? Why don't we have, you know, a hundred other stories of people going, Whoa, 
this company is so committed to people. It just feels like I'm at home when I'm at work and when I'm at work, you know, just the, the blend is like, it's so natural. Um, and like you said, Shane, this isn't that hard. We're the only ones blocking ourselves from it. It is yeah. really hard because we're humans, but it's not really impossible. It, it's hard to fix individually. Yeah. It's not hard to fix when we all sit down and acknowledge a problem, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that show. Um, oh, man, what was it? It came on A&E. Uh, intervention, right? We need oh, an intervention. So mm -hmm. intervention, amazing show, by the okay. way. Very real life, mm -hmm. massively unfortunate circumstances mm -hmm. um, for people with addiction, right? Okay. Hor horrible, horrible Every circumstances. Show is an intervention of someone's family. Okay. So they show the person. They don't know that there's about to be an intervention. They come and they think they're just doing a series on people with addiction and showing their life and those things. Right. And then at some point during the show, they have all the family meet at this place, right? And when you deal with the, when you what when you deal with people, I've never dealt directly. I know people with addiction, and I haven't been involved with a family member directly in this intimate yeah. nature, but. Um, if everybody's not on board, somebody breaks out and becomes an enabler, right? So meaning mom really mm -hmm. wants him to get clean, but whenever he comes like, so what happens is they all sit around and they say, we've got, we've got, um, a car waiting outside and you're going to go, we've got a place lined up. It's all paid for. It's all taken care of. And we've got a place for you to go get some help. And it, and in the moments where the person eight times out of 10 would get up and storm out, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Family members would go one by one and say, look, if you don't do this, I, you're, you're out of my life. I can't, like, I can't, I can't, I can't be, I can't play a part of this mm -hmm. anymore. And if one person close to that person broke, it never would work. You'd see, cause they show like a flash forward, of like mm -hmm. this person, he's back living with his mom and didn't, you know, didn't finish his rehab or she did, you know, this thing. Mm -hmm. If one person's not on board with the change closest to the sun, right? Closest mm -hmm. to the, to the, to the ethos of what this is, it's not gonna work. Right? So in that organization, in, in the, in the markets, in the government, in wherever it is in how, what we're trying to institute change involved, if you're not willing to agree that we have a problem and you're not willing to, and this is why we talk about the first step, the first step in this. Mm -hmm. If you're not willing to sit down and say, we got a problem and I'm part of the problem, right? I hope, I, actually, I want to, if, I mean, who knows, but if you listen to this podcast and you hear this, I'd love to hear about how you listen to this and you walked in the next day into your management meeting or your company meeting, or your all hands, or whatever, and you said, look, here, we got a problem, whatever your problem is, we got a problem, and I, you know, I have a problem, and I've been playing, and I want you to know that it's okay to say you've been playing a part of this too, because it's gonna take all of us taking accountability for, our, for the issues, but it's gonna take all of us to also fix our issues, and fight through, and work together, and pull each other through the mud, through the quicksand, because some of us are gonna get stuck, Mm -hmm. Some people get stuck in quicksand, right? We grew up, I thought quicksand was everywhere. You've watched mm -hmm. cartoons and old movies, you'd think it was everywhere. 
We got to do that. And if yeah. we all acknowledge, then we can, then, then we have a chance. We have a chance if we all say we need to fix this. We all believe we need to fix this. Mm -hmm. But if the CHRO isn't on board, he's like, no, no, it makes me look bad. It makes me think it looks like I didn't know what I was doing and mm -hmm. I wasn't doing the right hiring procedures. And right. I, no, no, I ain't doing it because I'm trying to get this job over here at company X and this is going to make me look bad. No, I'm out. I'm out. No, no, not. Mm -hmm. No, I don't agree with this. And then they're planting these seeds and they recruit a couple people over to their sex. That's what happens. Yeah. I think, I mean, I could see a, uh, an incredible, maybe it's a short story, blog post, whatever, but you corp hey, corporate America, you know, we've got an addiction with one to work the, the old way and it's freaking broken and we all know it and we all need to contribute to make it better. I love how you frame that. I really do because, uh, you know, I've, I've not been involved with intervention. I've had extended family members uh, be part of that and they just talk about how hard that was and seeing someone you love uh struggle it, you want to crack you want to be the place where they have a hug um and i think you know it, it kind of boiling this thing all, all together i mean we we you know addiction is kind of kind of what we got right now like we're yes. this is what we're living with man we're addicted to, to doing it that way and um the outcomes could be you know we know the outcomes aren't great the way it's been designed, but we don't have a better model that we're comfortable with yet. So until we do, uh, like you said, there's no one out there just leading the way undeniably right now. People are struggling and we're, it's, it's hard because there's no benchmarks. We're used to, we're used to that, but we, what we do all agree and know that that way is kind of broken to very broken. That's what we do know. Uh, and I hope that, uh, we can rally enough support going forward in starting to build better communication, better language, better understanding, better architecture. Yeah. That's going to be, you know, more inspiring and more meaningful for people. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, we're addicted to a, a toxic way of work, right? We're, we're, mm -hmm. we're addicted to an outdated, unhealthy way right. of, of living our professional yeah, and life. Like, give me, give you another example. I hear a lot of times that people are struggling because daycare is too expensive in the United States. Okay. In many places it's really unaffordable, but is that really the problem or is the problem that we need to earn so much money that both parents of young children have to work? That's maybe that's the problem, <laughs> like the affordability or the, non you know non-social you know welfare net isn't catching enough people that the system is broken right it's not daycares too expensive no that's not the problem why is it expensive oh because people aren't earning enough to be able to afford it oh okay well why is that well you know and then you could carry that carry that on you see what i'm saying like yeah you can't tell me that daycare affordability is the issue it's not the issue why do families need to have daycare you know like why is why, that right why why do why and we've talked about this before why are some of our work environments negative and toxic and unproductive and when you peel back the layers of the onion how many of those people that are actually really unhappy are there just because of the insurance 
Right. Right. Or a quiet quitter. <laughs> well, yeah, not or, even or why, a quiet quitter. I mean, we could go on and on. Why are the most important community of people building the next generation of talent pipeline in the world? Teachers, the most underpaid and miserable demographic in this country right now. Why is that? Yeah. The most publicly unappreciated. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a wild thing. It's a wild thing. And um, yeah, like you said, I, I hope um, this is a little bit longer episode than we normally have. But, um, you know, this is one of, I think, many that we want to have some conversations. If you are uh, if you are in a position of influence, uh, we would love to hear from you if you want to come on and and continue, um, you know, continue the conversation. Steve and I do not have all the answers, um, but we feel like between our networks we can certainly start to lay out a foundation and we've got some people that we want to reach out to and some other cool things that are kind of coming with all of this. This is just to kind of put it out into the world and let it do its thing. Uh, I'm sure Steve's got some TikToks coming down the pipeline for it and uh, some other things. So um, this is, this, this, this episode is, is felt really, really meaningful, Steve. And I'm really, yeah. uh, really glad we got to dive into it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Shane. I love the addiction metaphor that you pulled out there and, and just intervention. I mean, that is really what we what we need. And I hope that we can find a, a way uh, to recruit people to help us in this, like, like you said. And I've got a few people I'm going to be approaching. You've got a few people you're going to be approaching. Like, let's bring them in and start hearing some different perspectives uh, in addition to ours. Awesome. Awesome. That's another, uh, another fantastic episode of the work week after hours i'm shane howard with uh steve my good friend steve gadigan <laughs> absolutely steve awesome till next time